On the shoulders of Vegas Wi-Fi, it's Ingle Radio, the podcast, with the creators of Ingle Magazine, David Hutchison and Kevin Woodley. I'm Darren Millard, down in Las Vegas. We've got you covered all over the uh, goaltending world. Uh, Woody and Hutchison heading into the, uh, really, the interior of goaltending uh, this week. We'll hear all about that, as well as some uh, happenings in and around the goaltending world. Our feature interview is coming up, as well as our gear segment, uh, talking about the E-Flex Chesty uh, coming up in just a little bit. But uh, gentlemen, uh, you guys must be excited about where you're headed in a couple of days, Woody. Never a bad time to go to the Okanagan uh, up in the interior of British Columbia. It's kind of there's like, for those that aren't familiar, it's like a little desert area famous for its vineyards and its wineries and uh, also a place where uh, you know, I mean, I always used to say you can't hit a nine iron without running into an NHLer. I mean, that might be an exaggeration. Might, you know, I'm not hitting as far as I used to, so maybe might need a, a five wood, but they are everywhere up there. We've spent time up there with Carey Price. Mike Smith is retired there and has been there for a couple of years. Like, there's just goalies and NHL players everywhere. The pro skates are phenomenal. And the week we get to go up and take part in with Net360, uh, Alpha Hockey Agency run by Ray Petkow and Adam Francilia on the training side come together to uh, put together a week of just really high-end goaltending and goaltending training. And we get to be on the ice so we can bring you some drills and some ideas and some interviews. And that's where we're headed tomorrow. Hutch, what are you focused on this year? You know what? It's always just a surprise, Darren, because we hit the ice and the way it works is they have groups of uh, two goaltenders who pair off with two coaches uh, at a net and then they rotate who works with who uh, throughout the week. And we're never quite sure in the first couple of days what they're going to be doing. So for us, it's just really exciting times to to bounce from ice sheet to ice sheet, net to net, just to see who's teaching and what they're teaching. Towards the end of the week, we have a bit of a better idea because some of the curriculum sort of recycles as they work with different goaltenders. Other times they're obviously looking for specific things for the individuals. So I think for, for us, it's just what, what do those first couple of days look like and, and what's new? Because there's always something new. Uh, there's always some tricks we want to bring home with us. Uh, one thing I am excited about is for the first time, uh, Kristen Campbell of the Canadian national team is going to be up there uh, at Net360. So really looking forward to, to seeing her work. We've uh, been able to spend a little bit of time off ice and, and see her in the gym, but haven't seen her on the ice uh, up close yet. So I'm pretty excited about that part for sure, Woody. It's always fun to play uh, and hang out with a person from brand Manitoba, isn't it? Love everybody from Manitoba. Great part of the world. Yeah. Present company included. Yeah. <laughs> hey, um, I got to mention, uh, I've been working with uh, Sean Burke, Brendan Burke, and Scott Monroe uh, this week at Valley Goaltending. They have a, a week-long camp in, in Vegas. It's I love being back on the ice doing a goalie school uh, with the guys with Valley Goaltending and seeing all the new gear up close. That's been one of the, the, the great things about, along with the new teaching techniques and, and so forth. But uh, some of the, the slide plates that are on the warrior gear uh, that uh, uh, was uh, kind of stands out uh, to you, uh, true gear uh, the kids have uh, along with a ton, ton of uh, CCM and Bauer uh, setups. Thanks for the invite, Derek. Yep, appreciate it. You guys were invited. You guys are too busy. That's the issue. I rolled out the red carpet with my house for you guys, and you guys were like, "We're too busy." Yeah, we just 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 teasing you. You're right. It has been. It's, it's been a crazy summer, and it's about to get crazier. Uh, from Net 360, we've got some other things lined up with NHL goaltenders in the interior, potentially stops in Edmonton, and then 
uh, some time in Montreal at the end of the month. So it's nuts, but we are glad to hear that you're down there on the ice representing, I hope, representing in in goal paraphernalia uh, at Sean Burke's yep. camp. And that must be, I wish we were there. We really wanted to be there. We're going to have to make that happen uh, in one of these subsequent summers because, you know, we had Brandon on the uh, podcast and we've obviously talked to Sean a couple times over the years. And I'm guessing there's just a ton of teaching and learning and uh, pretty cool experiences going on down there right now. And Sean's been uh, holding court uh, on a couple of different occasions, uh, just regaling us with stories uh, from his time uh, with the Olympic teams and then to to the National Hockey League and uh, his general managership, uh, along with goaltending coach, but uh, uh, ran uh, world championship and, and Olympic teams. Uh, on the subject of uh, goaltending in your neck of the woods, uh, Lauren Bressois getting his day with the Stanley Cup and then Aiden Hill and Logan Thompson uh, have back-to-back days uh, with front the Vegas Golden Knights. They're in Calgary, and they're going to sort of share their two days uh, together as they played for the same minor hockey association. So uh, a big uh, couple of days uh, for Western Canada on the goaltending scene with the Stanley Cup. Yeah, hey, I forgot about like, the fact that it's all Western Canadians that are part of that celebration. Obviously, Jonathan Quick will, will be back on the East Coast of the U.S., but um, I'm going to be there for the public portion of Lorraine Brassoise covering it for NHL.com, and have to send some photos along that'll probably be up on our social media, probably by the time people listen to this, actually, because that's tomorrow. And nice to see. I like how Logan um, and Aiden have combined. So they, and, and all three of them, right? Like making sure it's a pretty limited time for these guys that they have with the cop. And there's things they want to do with their family and their friends and celebrate privately. So to make sure they take a big chunk out of those days to have a public celebration uh, to bring it back to the arenas or the areas where they played minor hockey. I think that's pretty cool. And I'm looking forward to uh, being a part of that, a small part of it, covering it tomorrow. I think my favorite though, was uh, Willie Mitchell's day with the cup uh, up on the Northern part of Vancouver Island. I actually got to fly over for that and cover that. And it was, uh, it was pretty neat the way he worked in the community there. And uh, it's always special. I mean, let's be honest, like the cups just, it does, it brings out people. It's uh, it's a special trophy, and it makes for a special day. And I'm excited to sort of see it and be part of it on a small scale. Well, Lauren Bersois will be happy that you're going to attend it instead of me. Uh, his day with the Stanley Cup because he always gets intimidated around me because I've got the the abs of steel, and he thinks he's a pretty fit guy. And he just he walks by me and sees uh, my my ripples, and he he just feels bad. But you, Woody. Uh, yeah, you've, you've got more of the dad box. We got ripples. We got ripples. That. They're just big ones. <laughs> they're big I got, and they're I got soft. ripples. The problem is that they do the wave when I walk. So um, yeah, we're uh, yeah, we have no fear. We have no fear of intimidation with LB uh, tomorrow at the Cup Day. Or and I'm kind of curious to see how he's arriving because he's got the Cup till the evening of Sunday, and he's a part of this camp uh, up in Kelowna. Net 360 has been a part of it every year, and, and I believe is a part of it this year. So he's supposed to be on the ice at the rink at eight o'clock Monday morning. I have a funny feeling he may be a little late arriving after his his day and night with the cup on Sunday. Hey, when you guys hear about all these Stanley Cup parties and and all the plans the guys have for the day, I don't know about you, but for me, it's a little bit like when when the lottery gets up to a really big number and you start thinking to yourself, well, if I won that seventy million, that hundred million, here are the things I do with it. When you hear about all these parades, are you guys imagining what you would do if you won the cup? Yeah, I kind of have it in my head what I would do. It wouldn't be uh, overly extensive, but a lot of just reflecting on your early days playing the game. Like I would love to go back to my hometown of Brandon and my own community center and, and go 
uh, to that facility and uh, then uh, have it with with people that I grew up playing the game with. Hutch, what's yours? I always struggle with it because I've I've been super fortunate to have lived in a whole pile of different places over the years and. And for me, I'm always just wondering, how could you bring that cup to as many people as you'd like to and to share it with as many organizations as possible? And uh, I've never really solved that problem. I, I know there's usually a helicopter involved in my mind, but a uh, helicopter can't really get from Vancouver Island to Colorado to Toronto to Montreal and all places in between. So I don't know. We, we need a little science fiction for my party to work out as I'd like it to. How about you, Woody? Well, I mean, let's be honest, any party involving me in the cup would be fiction anyway, so I could do whatever I want. Um, but I, I was thinking, like, I've never, th- I, here's the truth. Maybe it's because I didn't start till later in life, but I've never thought about it. Like, I, and I've never been involved with an organization. Um, although seeing Darren get to lift the cup after Vegas won it, you know, made me rethink for a moment some of those goals because <laughs> there has been conversations in the past with teams about, about perhaps roles. And I've never really been interested, but it makes you think about it just for that moment. And I, I guess as a guy who didn't start playing the position until his mid thirties, like, am I taking it to my Monday night skate that I've been a part of for the last 10 years? You know, a bunch yeah. of guys who handful of them who played in the NHL guys who played high level, you know, junior in college and, you know, some overseas, some guys who didn't, you know, play beyond sort of their, their minor hockey years, like a real mix. Um, I think that would probably be it. Like, obviously, a little family time, um, but I would probably just bring it to my my you know my beer league team. We'd have to do, do a double dip. I'd have to I'd have to play two in a day. I'd have to go out with my beer league team, schedule on a day when we had a game, and then the Monday night skate. Those would be the two that I'd want to share it with the most. That those two. I guess you'd find out which beer leaguers think they actually have a chance to play in the NHL one day. Right, because don't they say in beer league the guys who get way too serious think they're still going to make the show even though they're forty five? Yeah. So you'd find out at the party which of those guys really think they're going to make it because they wouldn't want to touch it. <laughs> Could you imagine too uh, having that uh, that trophy sitting ringside and the potential of being able to win it? You're yeah. not going to carry it, but you win it. Uh, that would ramp up the intensity level uh, quite a bit at the Monday skate. The, the intensity level is already pretty high at that skate. Like guys get into it over offsides and perceived whistles that should have blown. Anyway. Yeah. You know, so hundred percent, I think that would be, that would be next level. I'm there'd be some disagreements hundred percent on that night for sure. The worst thing that can happen in any scrimmage is the first time there's a protest over an offside play. And as soon as that offside play is called, there's 15 of them in a row because then it becomes okay to call every single close play that was offside. It's okay until it happens. It's a good game. And then first time somebody calls a play offside, ruins the skate. It's done. Whoever called it usually gets chirped pretty good after the game. I would imagine that uh, like it becomes a a point of discussion in the locker room. I'm guessing if the Stanley Cup is uh, rinkside and on the line, that that discussion would be even more intense. It'd be fun, though. Uh, They they deserve it. Uh, Marty Berger, shout out to Marty, who always had uh, a street hockey game to go with his day with the Stanley Cup. Love that idea of everybody getting together and and doing that. Uh, we've got some some news happening uh, in and around the hockey world. Uh, some arbitration uh, awarding uh, to Jeremy Swayman and Ilya Samsonov, Samsonov, whatever one you want to uh, say, and then a uh, LTIR announcement with Matt Murray. Let's start with the arbitration. 
a Woody. Yeah, I guess um, it's just really interesting. I, I mean, I didn't know. I thought these teams might want to lock their guys up a little longer term because the one thing about arbitration, at least in this case, because you can choose a two-year award. Um, it's a one-year award for both of these guys. And you're basically just kicking the can down the road for a season, right? Because if Jeremy and, and, and Ilya both have similarly great seasons next year, they're looking at raises again, and they're both arbitration eligible again. And actually, in Samsonov's case, I, he may, top of my head, is he is he actually going right in? Does this kick him into UFA, or has he got one more year? I believe after? it does. So in Samsonov's case, you get one year, and then he's straight on the free agent market. Um, so in that case, if you believed in him that much, if you're Toronto, you might have wanted to invest a little bit. Um, you know, and then in Swayman's case, he's going to be right back in the same boat next year. And then, you know, the other guy that uh, avoided arbitration with a three-year deal and is, is kind of comparable is is Philip Gustafson. So, you know, Minnesota's a team that looked at their guy and said, hey, we want to invest in him and make sure he's here long-term, as opposed to, like I said, kicking it down, kicking that can down the road for a year. So, you know, I'm, it's such a volatile position. Anything can happen. Um, you know, look at Swayman and the team that he was on in Boston. Uh, you know, that partnership he had with Linus Almark. Well, it's not the same team anymore, right? Like, no Patrice Bergeron, a first ballot Hall of Famer. David Krejci like, likely to follow if he hasn't already. I haven't checked the news in the last 24 hours in terms of, you know, hanging them it's up. It's coming. Yeah. So, um, you know, what does that do in terms of your... We know how good a goalie he is. That won't change. But what your numbers look like based on the environment in front of you might change. And that's, you know, how you get arbitration awards. That's how you, you know, sort of set the rate. So, you know, in both cases, you know, interesting times for what their future holds. I think it's Swayman's case, maybe a little surprised that a team didn't offer Sheetham just because of where Boston was at against the cap, how little they had to spend, um, you know, for not much more than this and very little in the way in compensation, you may have been able to lock up a really good young goaltender for three or four years, and Boston may not have been able to match it. Uh, it was certainly prime for one of those predatory um, contract offers from another team, or obviously he would have to accept it. But yeah, just, I mean, there's so much volatility in the position in the marketplace. The cap could go up, obviously will go up by how much should be a significant amount next year. It's just, it's really tough to sort of figure out who the winners and losers are. Um, I guess if the year doesn't go well, the goalies become the losers because there's not another big ticket coming. Uh, but I would think based on how good they are, uh, they both end up winners out of this because they just get to write another check or have somebody write another check for them next year with a rising cap. Yeah, the cap going up is the big bonus for both goaltenders in that area of opportunity. You get an award and then you get the opportunity to to really throw it up even more so with an increased salary cap. How many times has a goaltender signed an offer sheet? Yeah, I don't think Never? there's been any. That's, yeah, I I, I don't remember That's one. a pretty short uh, list of guys happening. who, I mean, what, you've got Kokeniemi, uh, did Kessler sign an offer, offer sheet? We got the Shea Weber one with Philadelphia from Nashville. I think Kessler did with Philly, there was one involving St. Like, it's a pretty short list that we've got in terms of offer sheets around the league. And you're right, I don't think it's ever involved a goaltender. Yeah, I, I go through uh, different players over the years and it not nobody stands out. Brendan Shanahan would have been the big, big, one of the big first mm -hmm. ones. But uh, 
Dave Christian signed one. By the way, Christian Hockey Sticks are back. Saw one this week. It's been relaunched. Remember that? Uh, those Christian Hockey Larry Robinson signed an offer sheet way back when. Guy Lafleur. Uh, like early, early, early before mm-hmm. they kind of got into this uh, mix of <laughs> before I was yeah, born, uh, pretty uh, much before you were born. Yes, you can. Yeah, you're you're able to say that. Actually, S- amazingly, you're able to say that, which is uh, impressive. Uh, we've got uh, the LTIR uh, with Matt Murray. No real surprise given the injury history, but there is a surprise. Hutch, because he was able to back up during the playoffs. Um, I'm not going to doubt uh, the, the situation, but it it does clear the way for a, a spot there. Uh, and and obviously uh, what happened in the Stanley Cup playoffs with the Toronto Maple Leafs for uh, an assumption of that role. Well, it certainly looks like they, the door is open for Joseph Wold to remain in Toronto, as I think we all expected would happen this year. I don't know what you can say about the Matt Murray situation. You heard me get a little bit flustered when Mike Smith was able to play in the playoffs and then suddenly was too injured to resume the next season. So I don't understand how all these things work behind closed doors, and it's not for me to speculate, but it does feel unfortunate that uh, someone who has done a spectacular job of pro reads over at ingolmag.com doesn't look like he's going to be playing this year because of LTIR. So shout out to Matt Murray. and thank him for the great work that he's done for us at InGoal. Uh, Woody got up a pro read this week that will publish, well, it publishes on Monday. And uh, the latest, we've got the second in a series of Matt Murray walking us through screen drills, or not drills, but uh, screen scenarios on ice. And just the stuff that he sees and is able to share off the top of his head so quickly and so easily, I think has been invaluable for the goaltenders that uh, are able to see it. I was up at the Eli Wilson goaltending school in Edmonton the week before, guys. And the week before I went and then the week I was there, we showed the first Matt Murray Pro Read to all the students up there because it matched so well with the curriculum that was going on on the ice at that time, Uh, both in terms of the teaching tips that Matt was using and the way the video was a great example to really show the guys how it works uh, in practice and in game. So, yeah, I don't know what to say about the LTIR situation, Darren. I just think it's unfortunate he's not playing, but uh, looking forward to more from from Kevin and Matt. I mean, you can add to that list. I mean, just so people know we're not casting doubts about whether these guys are hurt or not. I mean, take a look at Carey Price. Like, Stanley Cup final with the Montreal Canadiens and then not playing the next year. Shea Weber, same. I mean, we never know what guys are playing through to get to that stage or in Matt's case to be, to get to the point where he could be cleared to be the backup or potentially be an option for the Leafs in the playoffs last year. I mean, for me, my only, my only thought or sort of lingering thought when it comes to Matt having to go on LTIR is, you know, I hope it's not, not long-term. I hope that as much as that's exactly what LTIR is, I hope he gets a chance to play again because um, I think he's done a lot of good things in his game over the past two years when he has been healthy as much as, as that hasn't been as often as he or, or the people that employ him would like. Um, there's a lot of changes he's made that I really like and that I think you know we've seen signs of success when he's healthy on the ice because of it. You know, Dating back to the end with Ottawa, there were some times in there, some stretches where he really looked good. And then when you get a chance to sit down on him and or sit down with him and, and run that video, do that video review with him for pro reads. And there's lots more coming. I mean, nine and a half minutes on his first 
screen breakdown video was incredible. It was like a it was like a how to manage screens video. You could just make a DVD and publish it like that. Um, there's so much more coming from him. When you start to understand how well he reads the game and sees the game, you start to realize how big a part of that success or his success that was. Um, you want to see more of it, right? You want to get him. You want him to have the opportunity to continue to play. So. My lingering, my lasting thought is just I hope all the best for Matt in terms of being able to get back on the ice, whether it's with the Leafs or elsewhere, uh, and resume his career because I always I enjoyed watching him play. Um, I have a real appreciation for a guy who goes out of his way on his own without being prompted by others to seek change in his game when he recognized how he played. You know, especially that low wide stance wasn't necessarily working as the NHL evolved the way it did his first couple of years and two Stanley Cup wins, by the way. Um, but he recognized the need to change. And I, w- I enjoyed watching that process, watching him go through it. I thought he was coming out on the other side of that, looking like a like a really top end, had the ability to be a top end goalie again. And I'd love to see him get the opportunity to show that, even more so having come to this recent appreciation for, like I said, how well he sees and reads and anticipates the game. If you have not checked out the Pro Rates with Matt Murray, then uh, do yourself a favor and go down. That is a rabbit hole that will consume you and make you a better goalie coach, a better goaltender, and a better goalie parent. Uh, all three. Uh, it just makes you understand the position and the situations uh, so incredibly well. The other part is, did any of us think that Marc-Andre Fleury would still be playing when Matt Murray is potentially done uh, when that transaction occurred. That's uh, uh, bizarre uh, how it uh, how the world goes uh, in in our uh, situation. Uh, we've got a great Sense Arena feature interview coming up uh, in just a little bit, uh, but uh, this is a presentation of The Hockey Shop, source for Sports Langley, thehockeyshop.com. Our gear segment uh, is the E-Flex Chesty as things continue to uh, come together uh, down with Cam and company at The Hockey Shop, Woody. Yep. Um tried it. We have multiple units uh, being tested by multiple goaltenders. As a matter of fact, I've been asked to bring a unit up to make sure we have one up at Net360 for more goalies to try. Um, It's been very well received. There are some very unique components to this chest protector. They really you know, went at it with a different approach, a different mindset, some research from the University of Ottawa tied into this in terms of thermal regulation and keeping you cool as a goaltender and how that can improve your performance. So for the details on exactly how they did it and how it feels when you put it on and when you play in it, let's talk to Cam. Welcome back to the Hockey Shop Source for Sports with Cam Matwave and Goalie Utopia. And, oh, latest and greatest. Oh, we're well, back. Actually, whoa, 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 whoa. Latest. But we have an addition, a surprise to show you Don't let that may be the, the quote-unquote greatest, a version of this that is even more special. Lure. Well, let's talk about special. why this is good, too. Okay, we should. E-Flex 6 chest protector. Yes. We've had it at Ingle. I've got three different testers have been in it, giving us lots of feedback. Ooh. It's been positive so far. Um, I've had, had to wear myself, Dan too. Kevy, uh, the goal, goalie product manager for CCM, on with us to talk about it. Now we've got the visuals to go with it, Cam. Your words. You've worn it. You've tried it. You've played in it. The features that stand out the most. So let's talk about really quick, E-Flex 5 versus E-Flex 6. So 
Similar overall chest, body design hasn't changed too much. We have changed up the actual outer fabric that's being used on the chest. It's a lighter weight fabric, so just as durable. It's helping the chest breathe a little bit more, which is a big highlight of what we're getting into for the differences. In terms of for overall padding density-wise and things like that, not too much has changed in terms of the overall recipe of the chest because it was a great unit. If you're looking for lightweight mobility, that's what you were going to find in the E-Flex 5, and you're going to find the same in the E-Flex 6. Now, big difference, though, really has to come to that back plate itself. So let's turn the chest around here. Ta-da! So, CCM's AirTech. Tech. It's spelled kind of funny as we do spell things funny in the goalie world for whatever reason we do. Um, mostly because goalies can't spell, but I digress. Yeah, yeah, yeah. See, AirTech. Oh, this is actually going to like suspend the chest protector up on your back. So you're going to create a bit of an air gap actually for air to flow in between the back plate of the chest itself. Which is also, you can see like quite a holy fabric. Remember yes. those old like, you're probably too young for this. Remember those old like Hawaii 1980 shirts that kids used to wear sort of cut up with I all the holes in them? Don't. Anyway. I'm old. <laughs> Anyways, so, it's that injected molded. fabric. Lots of breathability. Injected molded piece. Uh, which is going to help to create that gap. You still get that nice hard back plate, which we are still looking for a bit of that spine protection and things like that too as well. But we're creating more airflow to the chest. The chest is designed to keep you cooler over longer periods of time. That's helping you push the envelope in terms of your performance level at all times by keeping you an optimum temperature as you're playing. Okay, so did you say we need protection on the back? <laughs> Every now and then, yeah, you do. This is why this is because Cam ends up basically backwards facing the net while guys are winding up to shoot. Huh? Again, I digress. Um, the feedback we've had on it so far is that, uh, and the interesting part is a lot of our testers have been using it in the summer, so it's already hotter out and they're seeing the benefits in terms of the breathability. Interestingly enough, we talked about this on the podcast a couple weeks ago, um, but was out with a goalie coach who was out hiking and the people that were sort of expert hikers, like really into hiking, had backpacks that were specifically designed to create a gap between the backpack and their back so that it would have some sort of thermal breathability, which is what they've accomplished with it. In terms of the rest of the chest protector, you know, Cam sort of walked you through the, the similarities uh, from E-Flex 5. Some of the elements that I really liked, uh, the elbow pads. Uh, I love how the fact that it's almost like a player elbow pad embedded in a goalie arm. You can really lock it in and keep it tight fitting so you're not slipping out of the elbow cap. Um, and I also liked the wrist strap. As odd as a call out as that seems, just a lot more material, both in terms of the attachment and the Velcro side, like both sides of the Velcro. It's not you can really get either. a nice, nice wrap yeah, on Yeah, it's there. not stiff either, too, because it does extend a little bit far, but that is all soft foam, so that shouldn't interfere with any of your glove attachment in terms of your wrist strap or anything. And like we've that. been testing new gloves, so that sometimes that's the thing, right? You get a stiffer new glove in there, and that can be a bit of a, it wasn't an issue for us. Uh, adjustability, we sort of see that maintained. Lots of adjustability. And it, I think it's actually more important with this hard plastic and the rounded shape of it, you need more adjustment in terms of being able to sort of get it up and wrap the way you want. Exactly. And sort of find that balance between neck protection and the fit. Because it is a little bit unique feeling the first time you put it on in terms of the way it sits on your back and over your shoulder. Yes. Uh, another quick small note, which is uh, a bit of a change as well. So Velcro on the side, so no more buckle as well. Um, again, it's always a high point of contention when you have a buckle on the side of a chest because it is a place that can get uh, broken from a shot. So. Removable belly flap. 
Where do you find it? I'm a, I'm a non-tuck guy. Are you a tuck guy? Where do you? Oh, where, I've always, I've always been a tuck guy. And no problems tucking this in. You like no the way it tucks? No problem tucking it in as well. And tucker, remember, non-tucker, both like the way it fits. Remember that what we called out too? And your CCM pants, they have those plastic buckles. That's exactly what this little tab is for. It's not to hold it to the belt centered. It's actually to clip inside your chest when you tuck it in. But probably yep. something cool. Okay, so we've gone over the basics here. We, yes. We've talked about this before. We just wanted to make sure we gave you the visuals on this unit. But Cam has a special surprise, an upgraded version. What do we call it? D-Flex 6 SDC version. Source for sports. Source distributors, Canada, if we really want to get technical. But source for sports, yes. Only found. Exclusive. Yes, exactly. So what are the differences? So, walk me through it. When you're visually looking at the chest, we've gone with that all black kind of colorway, which kind of like walk to the up. dark side. So, what makes this chest different is actually not so much its visuals as it is in internals. So, we've been able to still get the same thickness of overall foam. However, we're actually using a different, oh, well, CCM's actually using a different HD foam like throughout the entire chest. What that's creating is actually the same unit that they hand their CHL guys when they're asking for an E-Flex 6 chest. So, if you're looking for a bit of a beef up, Wanting a bit more protection, but not going to increase the weight too much, or the overall general feel of the chest itself. We have an option for you. Price difference, as usual, because it is an upgraded unit. So you can find that out. You can check us out at www.thehockeyshop.com, or you can give us a call at 604-589-8299. Um, if you have any questions or anything like that, feel free to reach out. Any one of my staff, including myself, will be able to help you out. Uh, one more thing we forgot to call out, although I guess at this point it's kind of become a staple of CCM units. You got the adjustability in the arms with the Velcro straps, yes. removable, adjustable, all those things. Yes. Am I missing anything? Just one of your teeth. Actually, no, you got that back. We're good. Hey, we're look right. things are looking up here in, in Goal Radio. CCM E-Flex 6 chest protector. It's in store now here at the Hockey Shop, online at thehockeyshop.com. Like Cam said, if you've got any questions, call him, call his staff. They're all goalies. They're experts. They know how to play the position. They know how this is going to fit. They know how it's going to work with your pants, whether you got new or old. Um, they know how to get you sized right. Give them a call. Check it out. CCM E-Flex. The heat. The body temperature that uh, component of this new eflex chesty that's that's really intriguing uh as as we go down that path uh it's a new element of the evolution of that piece of equipment yeah and i like the you know like i guess i brought the anecdote but i got it from somebody else but i sometimes we need we we hear information from other sports and other activities that resonate in ways we never thought and sort of that story um about how you know like you know, true sort of, I don't say competitive might not be the right word, but serious hikers have backpacks that purposely create a gap between what's on their back and their actual back so that heat can escape and how that so clearly ties into the way CCM has sort of built this back piece on this. It makes a lot of sense, right? It just sort of resonates at a different level when you hear it. It's one thing for us to have testers that feel it. Um, it's a whole nother thing uh, to sort of hear that like, hey, like that's, that's an application that other activities that people do at a high level, you know, have sort of, there's, there's science there. There's an understanding there and it's, it's employed at those levels. So uh, always good to catch up with Cam at the hockey shop. I was thinking actually, you know, like we should have, where am I taking the cup? And mm, you're going that to the shop? might be, a, I'm, I'm going to the shop and you know who else should go with the cup to the shop and 
I'm going to have, I, I doubt this is in the works, but like, yo, LB, like when I see it tomorrow morning at the cup day, like I know he shopped there as a kid. I know as a junior, like he got equipment there from the original hockey shop. So what better way than to, you know, on your way back to North End, pop into the hockey shop, which is just probably 15 blocks away from where he's going to be celebrating the cup. I think there'd be a lot of synergy there. And it is amazing how many of those guys um, that are from this area in the lower mainland that go on to play at a really high level, obviously Brassois at the, at the top level in the National Hockey League and now a Stanley Cup champion and his name engraved on the trophy forever have roots at the hockey shop. So there we go. We tie, tie everything into the show today uh, with our friends over at the hockey shop. Uh, we're Stanley Cup champions are equipped. We're Stanley Cup champions hang out in Cam's crease at the hockey shop. Source for Sports Langley, thehockeyshop.com. Sensorina brings you your feature interview every week on Ingold Radio, the podcast. Uh, got a great conversation coming up with Scott Ratzloff in just a little bit as uh, the summer portion of our schedule is an opportunity to really grow your game through the virtual reality area. It sort of feels right now, as we've seen the calendar flip over to August, like I'm a last minute Christmas shopper and I don't mean out there to buy things for the game. But what I mean is tryouts are just around the corner for a whole lot of goaltenders. Camps are just around the corner for a whole lot of goaltenders. We, we're, we're getting the excitement of that season about to happen. And I'm seeing people trying to maybe make up for lost time in some cases, maybe trying to just sort of put the icing on the cake and others for those who've been working really well and hard over the summer. I was in a rink the other day and I saw a young kid, not a goaltender, but because the rink had some incredible rates for ice just in, in off times for young kids, mom had rented the rink for her young kid to just get a little bit of extra work in before tryouts. specifically said that's what it was about. We were in the rink because we were trying to get a little bit of extra work done before camp starts. People are grabbing those last few lessons, those last few opportunities to get a little bit of work in before tryouts. Is there a better way to do that than trying Sensorina? Because renting the ice will cost you $50, $100, $200, $300 an hour. Getting in a lesson with a goalie coach. Getting in another camp. All great things to do if you're able to. Or you could go and grab Sensorina and get one of their plans, $29 a month or $39 a month and get access to some incredible training right up to the possibility of facing National Hockey League shooters. So if you are trying to grab that last little bit of time before camp starts, why don't you think about grabbing Sensorina and giving it a go? In fact, if you have the Oculus headset already, they've got a free trial you can use as well. So you can check it out yourself, get a little bit of practice in over the next week or so, and then decide if it's something to add into your regular training for the year. If you want to grab Sensorina now, head over to Sensorina.com, use the magic code IGM50, and you'll get a little bit of an extra bonus thanks to the work that we do with uh, the folks at Sensorina. Nothing's a guarantee, but it's hard to say that anybody's going to be disappointed by the uh, attention that you will offer yourself and exposure you'll offer yourself through Sensorina. One of those camps that's uh, on the horizon is the... Buffalo Sabres uh, training camp. Scott Ratzlaff will be attending. Oh, Woody, you had a chance to sit down and chat with yeah, him. Yeah, you know what? I'm, I'm, I know I say this a lot, but I'm extra excited to have our audience listen to this interview because, 
like quite often we go into these not knowing what to expect. And these kids are just so great sharing information. And there's so many little takeaways that anybody can apply, no matter what level you're competing at, whether you're just starting out as a goaltender, whether you're a goalie parent helping out with coaching, or whether you're uh, you know, a fellow pro. Um, but in this case, I kind of knew this was coming. I had a chance to talk to Scott at the CHL Top Prospects game where I was there working for NHL.com. And he just blew me away with that conversation. The way he studies film, the way he studies other goaltenders, uh, the way he's evolved his game, the details, and the way he pays attention to those. And he just, you know, was, he basically was a continuation of that conversation, except this time I get to share it with everyone. And there are so many little takeaways in here um, that, again, like I said, uh, whether you're a young guy or an old guy, uh, just starting in goaltending or doing it forever, even as a coach. Um, there are there are tidbits here that will help you do whatever you do in the position better. Um, and I, like I said, he's just such an open book and such a student of the game. His passion shines through in the interview. Uh, and it's one of the reasons that I'm pretty confident this won't be the last time we hear from Scott Ratzlaff. I'm looking forward to following his career because to me, the kids that are that level of student that really, you know, embrace it the way he clearly does. You know, I don't, I don't think it's a coincidence that, you know, you mentioned earlier, Marc-Andre Fleury and how long he's been in the game. Uh, Roberto Luongo, another guy who's in the Hall of Fame where Fleury soon will be. Um, always open books, willing to embrace new ideas and constantly evolve their game. And, and even at the, at the tender age of 18, Scott Ratzlaff falls right into that category. So great conversation. I can't wait for everyone else to listen. Feature interview presented by Sensorina, Sensorina VR on InGoal Radio, the podcast. Really excited to welcome to the InGoal Radio podcast. First time guest, uh, and my hunch is it's going to be the first of many for Scott Ratzlaff of the Seattle Thunderbirds of the Western Hockey League and now of the Buffalo Sabres after this recent NHL entry draft. Uh, a young man that I had the pleasure of talking to for the first time at the CHL Top Prospects game uh, in the spring. And I got to say, like I went back over that interview to prep for this one, and I enjoyed it so much. You, my friend, are a student of the position. How much pride do you take in that? Yeah, I take a lot of pride and appreciate you saying that. It's just, it's about being a student and learner of the game because there's now eight different ways you can play one scenario and each one has different outcomes. So being a student of the game and watching all these videos and all these articles about different ways to play it, like we talked about with Milik and the Panda and overlaps and things like that. It's just different ways to be more effective in the position. So. Okay, well, I want to get into a bunch of those, and we're going to have to be careful here because you're so good at providing examples, at least based on our last conversation, that I feel we could be here for hours, which I would love, but you know, you've still got to, you know, I don't know, like train and and do all these things as you're preparing um, for your career. Let's let's just dial it back a little bit and go to this summer because it's been a whirlwind. You know, you're you're drafted by the Buffalo Sabers. Uh, 10 spots ahead of you mentioned Thomas Millick, your teammate at the Seattle Thunderbirds. What was that like? You guys 10, 10 spots apart from each other. And I know for him, it's been a little more of a wait. Uh, I know here at Ingle, we've been sort of trying to figure out why the heck he had to wait so long. Cause he's such a, he's such a hell of a goalie. Um, but just walk us through the experience. Like what it's like, what was it like going to the draft and how cool was it to be drafted so close to him uh, on the floor? Yeah, I think it was just an unreal experience and getting the opportunity to go to Nashville and, seeing a fifth of Broadway and all the, you know, restaurants and all the music you could 
it was a three-story building and every single floor had a band playing. So I just kind of that atmosphere was unreal. And even, you know, the atmosphere within the rink was unbelievable. I got to watch the first round and there were upsets and things like that. And everyone, it was really cool to see kind of how it all played out. And then like you talked about with Millick there, I ended up, you know, getting picked by Buffalo and heading down to the floor and doing a bunch of interviews and Halfway through my interview, one guy mentions that Millick get drafted by the Winnipeg Jets a couple picks after me. And I was instantly just wanted to go on the phone, phone him, congratulate him. And it's been a journey for him. And having that opportunity to be behind him and learn everything from him has just been a great opportunity. He's a great role model. He's a great person. He's You'd never be afraid to talk to the guy. He's very approachable. And I think a lot of guys can learn from him. So. Okay, so I want to get into the combine and the draft and what that experience was like a little bit. But you talked about Thomas and your relationship there. And that was one of the things that jumped out at me uh, from our past conversation was just how much you guys talk about the position. And like you said, different ways of doing it. Little nuances here and there. Um, give me a couple examples. Like, what were the what was that conversation like the day after a game? You and him walk in and you're comparing notes on, on the night before. Yeah, I think it was just no matter who was playing, if it was him playing and I was on the bench or the vice versa, it was always a way to learn and see what we could analyze from the other team. Maybe the power play does uh, pass a certain way or maybe they turn or spin. And then working on that in practice, like we had our goalie coach, Brad Goose, that come down once a week per month and we'd go out of the same end and we would just watch. And then once he would finish his rep, we would kind of go over, hey, how did this feel? How did this feel? Kind of thing. So bouncing off ideas off each other and seeing how we can play the same, but also different in our own way is huge. And it's nice that we are kind of similar sizes. He's not a big six, six guy and I'm a six foot guy. It's nice to, we have that same type of body style type of how much we feel the net. So it was really nice to kind of compare. Okay. So let's just give our audience, cause not everybody's going to be intimately familiar with your game. Describe it for me, like what you see the strengths, what your focus is and how it's evolved over the past couple of years, especially, you know, since getting to the dub and having that chance to be, you know, sharing a crease and, and, and learning from and learning with, I guess would be a better way of saying it. You know, a guy like Thomas, who's, who's, you know, been at the world juniors and had success at, at, at the highest level for the age group. Yeah. I think I'll just start out with what you mentioned there, the strengths and weaknesses. I think using that height that maybe not a, the biggest guy of about six one. So I think my footwork and lateral agility is one thing that I've valued and worked on throughout the years is making those East West plays on my feet instead of sliding. Cause if you end up sliding, it opens up up top around your shoulders and maybe you're not as ready for the next play. So let's say a three on two, the guy makes an initial East to West pass covering the blue line. I want to be able to get there on my feet in case he make, in case he makes a, another pass to the middle for a high tip and things like that. I want to try and stay on my feet as much as possible and use my agility. And then, like I mentioned, like how, you know, similar we were, me and Thomas, and him having that world junior experience was also something I could take away. And just his kind of composure and poise during the playoffs too. You know, there may be ups and downs, goals that you want to have back, but just his ability to keep things neutral and always have control of the game. That's one thing I think is, extremely important as a goaltender is showing your team that you have things under control and being a goalie that 
the team wants to play for. So just elaborating on that, let's say you let in a bad goal, like I mentioned about earlier, if you're not showing up your D-man or banging your stick against the post, things like that, showing that, you know, maybe I've made a mistake here and there, but it's moving forward and staying neutral is a huge part of the game and it can help your team stay level-headed and not get down on themselves. I love that you gave me an example right away uh, and because I was going to follow up on that. Like, how do you present that to your team? Is it, are there other things body language wise? Do you have to be cognizant of it? Say a guy gets in your lane and your own guy blocks your sight line and that temptation to, like you said, take a look up like, hey man, I couldn't see it because of you. Like you have to sort of be conscious, consciously resist that stuff. Is there any other examples you can give us that a, a young goalie be listening right now and be like, geez, I never thought of that, but maybe, you know, maybe they do lose confidence if I present that way after a goal. Yeah, I think body language is huge. Not hanging your head or staring into the roof, kind of things like that. No palms up is what we call it when you go like this, like nothing you could do about it. So I think one thing that I try to take away from anything is you are 100% responsible for everything that you do. So let's say, you know, your D-man potentially gets in the lane. Well, it's your responsibility to look around because that's going to happen. There's going to be two guys. There's going to be four guys in the lane. And if you say... Okay, let's say there's a backdoor option on an initial pass. Well, if you just solely commit to the shot and it goes backdoor, yes, the D-bank could have had it, but there's also that responsibility like, hey, maybe I should have a little bit of backflow. If he does pass that, I at least have an opportunity to try and make a save. So I think just being uh, cognizant and being kind of aware that everything you do on the ice is your responsibility and everything, every action you make is the same. So. Palms up. I've never heard it expressed that way. So give me a couple examples of other, you know, sort of body language that would quantify as palms up. Yeah, I think just like I mentioned before, staring up at the ceiling or head down. Maybe I remember this one time, I'll even use an example of myself. We were playing in Portland at the Teddy Bertos game, and there was 13,000 people watching. And we're up three to two with 17 seconds left in the game. I misplay the puck. I give it right to the guy. He goes in and scores on an empty net. And, you know, instead of I made the mistake, I hung my head. I thought the world was coming to an end and I had my glove in my face and I was worried like, oh, what's going to happen next? I made this mistake. But kind of what I use is a five-second reset. That's what I use. And so the game ends. It's 3-3 going into overtime. and. You know, nerves are high right now. The team is probably like, well, the goalie just threw away our chances. So kind of what I do for five seconds is I acknowledge all those types of negative thoughts or mistakes that I've made. Like, so for five seconds, I think, okay, gave up a goal with 15 seconds left, 13,000 people watching. I'm going into overtime and then kind of use it as an in inhale, exhale. When those five seconds is up, I take a deep breath and it's kind of like pushing those negative thoughts away. So that's one thing that I like to use to reset myself. And one thing that can help you with your body language and staying neutral out, let's say that's after a goal and just taking that deep breath and moving forward because there's always going to be a next puck and that's the most important one. So I love it. I love it. I know there are going to be so many little threads that you're going to give me here that I'm going to want to pull on, and I'm going to have to go back to my notes to bring it back. Skating, uh, you talked about the, that as an important foundation of your game. Um, there are guys, I know you're a video guy, 
I know that your access to Instat is not just used to watch your own video the next day. You like to watch goalies all over the place. Is there a guy that jumps out at you that you're studying or watching or, you know, sort of, not to say modeling yourself after, but looking for things so that you can get better at that, so you can be the best goalie uh, on his skates? Yeah, I think there's each different goalie has their pros and cons and sort of how they play certain situations. But one guy that I like to watch is Dustin Wolf and even Devin Levi. And I'm fortunate enough to be picked by Buffalo in the same organization as Devin Levi. So honestly, I see it more as being able to learn from the guy. It's like, yes, it's competition, but I get the opportunity to watch one of the best moving goaltenders up and coming in the National Hockey League. So I think that's a huge asset that I can use and learn from just talking to him. And like I mentioned, Dustin Wolf, he has a great mental game. Not only is his footwork and his strength and balance really well, you can never see him showing up his teammates or showing any sort of emotion that the game is slipping away from him. So, And then I like to watch Marc-Andre Fleury. He's been my favorite goalie since I've grown up. And just his more of his morale and how he looks at the game He's the type of guy that you look and he always has a smile on his face and he takes the game for what it is. It's never too serious or the end of the world. So I think just taking different pieces of other goalies and seeing, okay, this works, this doesn't kind of thing and using it to your advantage. Well, I think now that we've got you set up with an Ingle Magazine uh, premium subscription, you're going to have to search up Mark andre Fleury and fun because we've, we've had a few of those conversations with him over the years about how important it is to his game that he's always having fun and that balance between working and getting better but still enjoying because it, it, it is a game. What does that look like for you the day after you told me you, you, know, you are on Instat the day after a game? And you like to look at your own game, and that's that's part of your process. What does that look like for you? What are you looking for? What are the keys? And you know, just walk me through what that's like. Yeah, I think it's not. It's definitely a learning experience, and you know, maybe some goalies only watch the goals or think. Actually, where did I read this? I just read it somewhere about how Carey Price was. He was different than other goalies, and goalies after a game, they may think well, I didn't have my blocker high enough on this one goal or I was holding my glove in a wrong spot on this goal. But Carey Price was always one to look at the positives in it. And he said, well, I made a good glove save here. I made a good pad save here, reads, things like that. So trying to take a mix of both of those, I watched the goals and think, hey, maybe I could have shoulder checked and seen this guy back door with that situation. And then seeing the shots too, saying, hey, I read this guy well and I had my glove in the right spot, taking up the top corner and things like that. So just trying to stay as open as possible. I'm not waiting to see, oh, I messed up this play. Not good, right? So just trying to keep an open mind as much as possible. And then I can also use certain plays like, hey, maybe I got scored on a low to high out front. Then I can take that to practice the next day and ask. The coaches in Seattle are great. We always get out 10 minutes early and get a warm up in. So I can go up to mags or carts and say, Hey, I'd like to work on this drill of low to high shots. Cause I got scored on it yesterday or five hole or six inches off the ice, low blockers type of stuff. So it's really awesome to have that, I guess, privilege for those guys to help out any way they can. So just learning and creating drills that I can help just like, uh, what's the word? Just, disallow those goals from happening again kind of thing. 
Okay, so you take an active role then in your practice. Again, and having said that, it's in part of that is your goalie coach isn't there on a day in day out basis at that level. Like like Brad's not there every day for you guys. So you take ownership of your game in that way and your your teammates I think there's a good lesson here for kids because I think, you know, to a certain degree, it's okay. Like, obviously, the situation has to be right at different levels and different ages, but it's okay to ask for, hey, like, I want to work on this. Can we set up or can we try this drill so I can work on this? Your teammates might even find value in that too as shooters. Yeah, and if I can help them in any way as much as possible too, it helps them say, hey, watch the goalie's glove hand. If it's angled a certain way, let's say up like this, well, you have more opportunity to shoot low glove or maybe is he brings his stick too far up when he gets close so you can shoot low blocker kind of thing. So any way that we can do a drill, if you're have the right mindset and doing things the proper way, it's a learning experience for everybody. And like you mentioned there, taking responsibility, like I talked about before, that goalie coach is not going to be there every day to make sure your feet are set square, close together kind of thing. So trying to stay self conscious about those certain things that he taught you through those week through that week that he was here and kind of applying it in your own way i i'm i've had other goalie coaches say this to me at the at the highest level like we need our goalies to become their own best goalie coach and it sounds like that's a philosophy you've embraced where does it come from how long have you how long have you had that mindset i think just growing up learning it from my parents too uh i can t- my dad is he works for the municipality in and around Burma and he just kind of always values the passion and doing something with pride and I can say that about my mom as well as a teacher and whatever it is whether it's hockey whether it's golf school things like that if you're going to do it if that's your choice you got to do it with pride and with passion so like you talked about there where to like learning that mindset it's evolving as you grow up you know you get more ice time you get more opportunity to do things so every time you step on the that ice whether there's pucks or not whether it's a skating practice or tons of shots learning to use the ice you have and i'd say just making the most of it i love it i love it you know you you talked a little bit i heard you in there talking about you know keeping your feet under your your stance like part of that answer was about you know one of the checks you had are you doing this? Are you stopping on each play? Are you set in square? Do you, are your feet? And we talked about this a little bit. As you've gone up levels and recognized the need to beat plays on your skates as a foundation, your stance has changed a little bit over the past couple of years. Maybe explain that to our listeners. I, I feel a little bit like I'm cheating here because we had this past conversation, so I keep referencing it. So we'll just like, how has it evolved um, in terms of optimizing your footwork? and how your stance has evolved to do so. Yeah, I think a big part of the game is awareness and reads and as well patience. So if you get caught too wide-legged or too spread out and you lock your edges in, that pass you're going to get beat nine times out of ten unless you make a ten-bell save that we all love. But I think just me at the start, I was a very wide-stance goaltender and I would always get caught kind of on my heels and behind plays and things like that. And like you said, as the leagues go up, the game gets faster, passes get harder, shots get harder as well. So I've learned to kind of narrow that stance and being able to push off a little bit everywhere. If I can hold my edges just a second longer, I have that ability to get that east-west pass on my feet. And you watch, use, for example, speed skaters. 
their initial start is it's kind of a T. It's hard to explain, but their back foot's like this and their front foot is like this. And they're very close together because that's where you get your power from because you can't push when your legs are really spread out. So learning to just over the years, like you said, to kind of narrow the stance and also adjusting my gloves accordingly to make sure I can cover low and high spots. Okay. So adjust your gloves accordingly. Share if you can, if we're not giving away too much, share how you've had to, you know, because like you said, a lot of people, especially taller goalies too, um, as they start to narrow, their body comes higher off the ice and there can be this fear of, I can't get to the ice or my hands. Like I'm, you know, we, we've seen the videos, right guys too upright and you're not actually covering the net anymore. You're above the net from a puck above perspective. Yeah, exactly. So how, you know, how did you work through that process in terms of being comfortable with an arrow stance and where your hands are positioned? Yeah, I think there's just a lot of ways to look at it. One thing is like that video, like I watch in style all the time. That's one thing that I can be looking for in my stance. If he shoots it, just above my pad, am I going to get my gloves in front of it? And just taking it, like I love to watch video of me, of other goalies, and just seeing where there's open holes or where I'm covering well. And also being able to, if they get in tight, use my elbows, which is one thing I've been trying to work on this year with my goalie coaches. When they get in tight, I can't be that reactionary. Goose calls it gunslinger, which is kind of like reactionary with the, hands but I can't do that because the shots are just too hard now and you can't react so when they get into that tight I use kind of the top of the circles as my reference anything from out there that's kill that's catch to the corner with my gloves and anything kind of in the dots and below that's where kind of they call it three-dimensional goaltending where you try and get it with your glove and let's say you don't quite get it then you can kind of bring that elbow in behind to get pieces of it so I sometimes like when they get in tight, my hands kind of stay low so I can get those low ones. But then if they get it up, I can get my elbows. So just learning about when I can use my reactionary athleticism and when I have to kind of take up as much space as possible. Is that a, a constant evolution as the level around you improves as well, both in terms of knowing where you are in the net and and what part of your body is going to help fill that space and how much time you have. I mean, jumping up to the dub, I'm guessing that, you know, there was less time and more skill and probably even more so at say a development camp with the Sabres. Yeah. I think like you said, it's a evolving game and the higher leagues go, the more you got to be conscious about it because those shooters now they can pick that corner nine times out of 10. So making sure that you gain enough depth to where, your elbows can reach that spot. You're not giving away too much net by putting your elbow out. So just managing your depth, learning patience, and then kind of adjusting your gloves. Okay. So we're kind of, kind of skipping ahead here a little bit, but Sabres, Sabres camp, what was it like? Uh, Seamus Kotick, Mike Bales, two guys that we've uh, had the pleasure of, of getting to know in the past. Uh, two guys were big fans of um, Seamus was some, He's got some old school in him too. Like there's some skating drills that he saved it, uh, shared at ingolmag.com that we were really appreciative of that had, you know, like going back to the Warren Strelo days, a lot of skating and a lot of unique sort of skating drills. But as a guy who's worked on footwork, you could probably appreciate them. What was the experience like? Yeah, I think just the overall experience with Seamus was awesome and his mentality towards the, the game. And, you know, he was always... He acted just as much as a student as I did. When we would talk about things, we would do a drill and I would say, hey, like, 
I tried this and you would say, okay, well, why did you do that kind of thing? And then we would kind of bounce ideas off each other. So it wasn't just him teaching me, this is the way you got to do it. This is the most effective. It was, okay, I'm going to set, he would set, I'm setting the shooter up here, play it how you would in a game. And then I would go through my drill. I'd go through the motions. Then you'd say, okay, yep, that works. You're covering the short side, maybe be conscious of a backdoor kind of option there. So just, his openness and willingness to kind of adapt to the way you played net as a goalie instead of you got to do this here, you got to do this here was one thing that I think is just it provides an opportunity for goalies to kind of show their style. And like you said, that flair or old school kind of way. And sometimes you like to throw in maybe like a VH or a PASAC and things like I'm not saying recommend it, but just that old school kind of whatever feels comfortable, whatever works kind of mentality. Dude, you just made me feel like ancient because you just referenced a VH, which I was around when it became popular for the first time and I was already old. You referenced that as old school. But on that note, because we've talked about, you know, uh, Thomas adding, you know, an overlap and a panda style to some of his net play options. Obviously, reverse everybody has. You just mentioned VH. Is it important do you see as these shooters start to pre-scout and figure what goalies are doing out, is it important to have all? Is there a benefit to you as a young goalie to having, say, an element of unpredictability in your game? Yeah, I think like you talked about there, you're exactly right with the unpredictability and learning to play different options because there is so much video now as a shooter is coming down the wing on the dot lane and if you're automatically into a reverse VH, he's just sitting there waiting for that spot up inside your ear to put it in. So I think that unpredictability and having those different movements in your toolbox is huge. And being able to play different scenarios, different ways, and maybe all he has is a short side shot option. So that VH, that high glove is going to cover it and then say, hey, maybe that back door's there. I got to overlap or reverse VH depending on how in tight he is to be able to get that backdoor play. And because one thing I learned too, if when they get into tight and I'm doing a VH and they go across, as soon as I try to put my back leg or the one leg that was on the post, they try and slide a five hole. So it all depends on how close they are, what they're looking for and what's also backdoor. So just like you said, having those different movements in your toolbox and being able to use them in different scenarios is huge. It's the ultimate game of cat and mouse. Yeah, really, it is. Now, how have you seen the game evolve from a shooter's perspective? Um, and, and I ask that because, man, like for you guys, all, all the guys you play against probably have all gone to school with skills coaches. Like it wasn't that long ago that we were ahead of the curve as goalies. We had goalie coaches. We worked all summer on our craft. And all they did was bigger, stronger, faster. But man, you're coming into a generation where there's deception. Like you said, there's there's this element of pre-scout, not only looking for what a goalie is going to do, but what move can I make to get him to do what I want? How have you seen that evolve? Especially as you moved up, like I said, into the dub and now you know into a development camp scenario where you know everybody's the cream of the crop. Yeah, I think in the summertime, I do... I skate with the pep guys. So the pep drills, they do it. And they, some boys may think, well, that's no fun. It's just shots on the shots. But watching the them work through different 
you know, I don't know what they're called, like peps, I guess, under overs, pull and drags, things like that. And listening just to the skills coach and how shooters can change the angle. Now, as boys, we look, they use that toe drag so much that we have to watch their bottom hand. It's less about lining up to the puck, but more about their bottom hand and playing their range as shooters. Because if they come down, they have their forehand and they have their range on their backhand as well. So them coming from different angles and opening up or pulling in, there's definitely different ways to deceive your shot. So so you're going to school on the shooters by going to their schools. This is great because this is, this is what a handful... There was a couple guys. Zach Parise was one. His brother was a goalie in the Devils organization at one point. He used to go to goalie school to try and learn what the goalies are doing. Uh, Marcus Nasland, who you know was an exceptional player with the Vancouver Canucks, used to come to goalie... Sh- camps. He was a drill buster, I got to say, but he would come to goalie camps to try and figure out what what goalies were doing. You're going the other way. You're trying to get ahead of the curve by seeing what the skill guys are doing. Yeah, and it's it could use the same way in Seattle. So when we Goose is there with the shooters and we're doing a kind of a goalie workout, he tells the guys how to score on us or how to manipulate this and that so we can also be better he's not just letting the shooters walk into a brick wall and then can't do anything so like we do that with penalty shots i'll just use an example with penalty shots you want to try and or shoot them even you want to as a player you want to weave as much as possible to try and get goalies off their angle and maybe you go across and the goalie doesn't quite follow you all the way and you can pick that short side so an example like that he doesn't just tell the guys to you know, do whatever move you can. He tells you guys, hey, try and make them uncomfortable, change speeds, change angles and things like that. And that just makes us as goalies better because it's one thing that makes us or pushes us outside our comfort zone and helps us, you know, adapt to making sure we're online with our edge work or making sure our gap, you can't just shoot it or skate around us kind of thing. So anything to help the players and then, Spiraling on to making the goalies better. Okay, so I got to ask. I'm going to ask for a specific here. This is for the kids out there. And if it's too much, you just tell me. Because much like when we do pro reads, it might be hard too without video. But much like when we do pro reads, the rule is always: if we're giving away too much, just tell us. We won't do it. But that you talk about the pep guys. You talk about that sort of that pull or drag into the feet where they change that angle from holding it way outside. And I mean. Like it's a significant angle change from holding it out to shooting it off their feet. How do we manage that as goalies? Young guys listening right now, uh, NHL drafted Scott Ratzlaff in the WHL, having all kinds of success. How have you learned to manage those types of shots from those skilled players? Yeah, I think just kind of going off what I mentioned earlier, following that bottom hand instead of the puck. Okay, I think one guys can get puck focused and line up with the puck. And their range, like I talked about, is huge because if you're too locked in on the forehand, they pull that in. That's a big range, like you talked about there. And that's a big angle. Yeah, they can open up the whole, they can open up a significant chunk of the net from puck perspective in that pull. Yeah. And also, guys now are good too. They're strong enough to just kind of release it off. So just trying to follow kind of their range, be in kind of the middle of, that, like I talked about the bottom hand, that's kind of the most descriptive thing I can give. What are you looking for in the bottom hand, if I can ask? Just lining up. That's where I usually line oh, okay. up with the shooters. Okay. 
So let's say he's a lefty coming on the left wing. He's going to come in and pull. That's going to be a big change. And his bottom hand is usually where it lines up when he shoots because that's just past kind of the front of his skate. So that's where I try to line myself up with instead of the puck. So instead of being on the puck, instead of being on the middle of him, you're you're keying on that bottom hand. Yeah. In around there. How, how much of that, like sort of looking for cues? I mean, you, again, as you get down the rabbit hole that is in goal premium, you're going to find an article from Craig Anderson about how he used to tell the coaches in practice so they knew he wasn't this bad, but he would pick times in practice where he wouldn't watch a puck at all. He would just look at the hands, the hips, the shoulders. He was looking for visual cues so he could teach himself to read a release. Are there any other guidelines or things that have helped you over the years learning to read these increasingly dynamic releases? Yeah, I think just one thing that you can use as, like, I would just more use this as an example in a shooter. The easiest, like, save or type of shot to stop is one where the player shows no shot threat. And that's, I'm using my hands kind of in the middle. So let's say their stick is in the middle and they're just stick handling like this back and forth. Right. That's the easiest thing to stop because there is no elusiveness. He can go like this and shoot, but you're already on it. So kind of, I guess I'm just talking more about a shooter's perspective, but always kind of being that open to shoot is what makes it hard on goaltenders. So reading that release of, can I buy time if he transfers to the middle? Can I buy time to, let's say, put my feet closer together? Because you want to, let's say the guy's kind of coming across the slot there on the rural road. Well, it's hard to kind of get those feet close together in case he shoots while you're adjusting. So that's where you kind of get separate. But how can I use, let's say he's coming in like that and he goes to here. That's kind of a cue to recollect yourself. Anytime you can recollect yourself during a breakaway or shootout or things like that is one where then you open up more options to slide or shuffle over. So just these cues of when they have their ability to shoot, when their chest is facing forward or kind of angled with the shoulders, things like that, and when being able to recollect yourself. I love it. I love it. I feel like we're going to have to go through this interview and write about 10 different articles on the advice that Scott Ratzlaff has shared with us today. Uh, a couple more. I just wanted to sort of go back. Um, we usually start the interviews here sometimes to sort of get a feel for guys, but you know, I'm curious. Uh, you're in Irma, Alberta? Grew- yeah. And, and grew up in that area? Yeah, grew up where'd in the, Irma. Where, where'd the passion start from? How, how did Scott Ratzlaff fall in love with goaltending? Oh, geez. Well... At first, I didn't like hockey. Uh, I wanted to be the Zamboni driver, so that we'll start with that. But we have an outdoor rink right by the house, and the parents just kind of threw me on there and walked away, and it was my job to try and get off. So just learn to eventually like it, and we have a lot of goalies in our family. My uncle, my cousin, my grandpa, my dad's side are all goalies, and just the value of the, the position, I think, I always wanted to be on the ice 24-7. I never wanted to change, never wanted to be on the bench sitting. It was in the action all the time. So I think that's a big part of it. And being kind of that that crucial role of the goalie. And guys think, well, it's a vital role because if you make a mistake, it's on the scoreboard. If a forward makes the mistake, they go through five different guys to redeem themselves kind of thing. So just that crucial play and like I mentioned, don't want to get off the ice. So, Do you, Okay, that mentality. And we hear it from a lot of guys in terms of embracing the pressure that comes with that. 
that comes with being that last line of defense, the one who, if you do make a mistake, it shows up on the scoreboard and the red light and, you know, the 13,000 fans at a teddy bear toss game, right? And the, and the yeah, WHL. Your name. Yeah, having to embrace that. Um, do you think that's, uh, is it innate to some extent or does it become inherent as you as you sort of work your way up in the position? Are there times, you know, you clearly are a student of the position and a big part of the position is is between the ears so much as between the pipes. Are there things, have you worked with, you know, different sports psychologists or different people to sort of cultivate embracing all of those pressure points? Yeah, definitely. Pressure is sometimes a good thing. I think I remember Mike Babcock saying something, pressure means you got a chance. That was kind of the quote that I think I remember him saying one time is, how do you handle pressure? And he said, like I mentioned, that means you got a chance. That means you're meant to be here. You're That's kind of the thing. You're here for a reason and you've gotten this far. So that's one thing. Pressure is good because sometimes it makes you a step above. You put you in a different gear, different zone. And it's, it's all about managing because there's going to be pressure whether you like it or not. I can't. I don't know a single guy that could walk into a, a playoff final game seven that would just be nonchalant and this is an everyday thing. Pressure is going to happen, and it's whether or not you think I have. We've lost like no confidence. Oh, what's going to happen next? What's going to happen next? And you're shaking before you even can put your skates on. So, and then there's the opposite to that. You say, okay, we've gotten this far. I'm here for a reason. How can I use that pressure to get me in the zone? Get me, I'm ready for this kind of thing. So there's there's always going to be pressure, but it's how you can handle it is what defers guys. Love it. I love it. Okay. Uh, what's the rest of the summer look like? You had, you had the, you went from combine to draft to dev camp. You're back home. Um, what's the focus? What does the rest of the summer look like for you? Do you go back to Sabres rookie camp before back to Seattle? Is that something you're looking forward to as well? So kind of just like with the season right now is just getting stronger. I think that's one thing that everyone can improve on is building the core because balance is a huge part about goaltending. So that's one thing I'm focusing on getting stronger legs, making sure that I can get places faster with stronger legs. And then like you talked about, I go to Seattle on the 20th, I believe. And I'm doing a little kids camp week there, helping out some goalies. So that'll be, that's always fun. It's always nice to be a goalie coach and shoot pucks at goalies because I love shooting pucks. So it's nice to shoot on some goalies, do a little breakaways here and there and have fun with them. And then I think on the 12th, I fly down to Buffalo to do a pros- the prospects tournament, which is in Buffalo. And we play Montreal. Pittsburgh and New Jersey during that tournament. And that's the 15th to 18th. And then main camp is the 21st. So that we'll see how that all plays out. And then it's back to Seattle for the season. And I'm excited. We're losing a couple guys, but I think the core we got is just, it's young and they're eager. So it's going to be a fun season for sure. Well, I look forward to following it, hopefully getting to see you in person when you come up to Vancouver to play the Giants. Uh, look forward to continuing these conversations over the years because I like I we've had two now, one on the record and one just you and me, and I have thoroughly enjoyed them both. I know our audience is going to enjoy this one. Scott, thanks for thanks for the time. 
Thanks for being so open with the conversation. There are a lot of young goalies and parents of goalies that are going to listen to this. And there's going to be a bunch of takeaways that much like you as a student of the game, they're going to go out and they're going to try them. May not use all of them, but there's going to be enough. There's going to be one or two things that everybody takes out of this. That's going to make them a better goalie. And, and for that, we thank you sincerely. Yeah, I really appreciate you having me out on here. And like you said, it's, it's seeing what sticks and you can try things over and over and seeing what works with you and seeing what doesn't makes you your own person makes you have your own flair. So, so the only thing is I'd recommend is just have some fun, enjoy the game for what it is and just go out there, work hard, have fun. Love it. So you're all set for that goalie camp with the little guys. Yeah. That's going to be my quote. Go go out there, have fun, work hard. Good stuff. Thanks again, Scott. Yeah. Awesome. Thank you. What a journey and what an incredible season. Uh, he was drafted ahead of his partner who went to the Memorial Cup as a tandem, Thomas Millich, uh, drafted by, by the Winnipeg Jets. Just an intriguing setup be, between those two uh, as goaltenders, rooting each other, helping each other on, and uh, and now going in different directions, Woody. Yeah, and I mean, 10 spots apart, despite the fact that Thomas is two years older and has a World Junior Championship to his name. So what's the difference? It's an inch, right? Like it's probably the inch. It's Thomas Millick at six foot and Scott Ratzlaff at six foot one. I mean, obviously there's, there's other elements too. Um, but I've, you know, th- and this isn't, th- this is just me saying, I'm surprised that Thomas Millick was still eligible to be drafted. I'm surprised he didn't get taken earlier. Um, I think you can look at a lot of guys who were in the same boat. I mean, Dustin Wolf is a two time American Hockey League goalie in the, of the year in his first two seasons and an AHL MVP. And he was one of the last goalies picked in his draft year, right? So we continue to see goalies that maybe aren't the biggest um, have success, get overlooked. And I, you know, I, I would not be at all surprised to find out that uh, a few years from now, we're having the same conversation, maybe not to the back-to-back AHL, like, like what Dustin has done is special. But having the same conversation about teams, you know, having overlooked Thomas Millick and to a, to a degree, maybe not the same degree because he went in his first draft eligible year, uh, Scott Ratzlaff as well. Awesome stuff. Uh, amazing. A uh, little bit uh, of a peek behind the curtain uh, with a Scott today. And Net360 uh, camp is coming up this week. You, you guys enjoy yourself. Safe travels. Uh, and can't wait for all the little bit of... Uh, tidbits that you're able to uncover uh, with this high level, one of the best high level impact uh, goaltender schools uh, that you're able to have access to. Make sure you go to ingolmag.com. We'll be trying to get them up as fast as we can. Sometimes we try and slip in a few quick hits while we're there as much as we're grinding on a day-to-day basis. It's also a chance we get to see our friend James Wendland, who brought us five damn things on the hips. And we've got plans to meet up with him in Kelowna. Uh, and some of the athletes he's working with to come up with a few more five damn things that'll help you train better, stay in better shape, be better prepared to stay healthy and on the ice and become a better goaltender. So I can't wait for all of that from a Kelowna this week. Plus time, I get Hutch. to spend time with Hutch. Like that's the best. Yeah. I was actually going to ask Hutch, what's your five damn things about Kevin Woodley that you come up with right now at the top of your head? I don't know, but I've said damn a whole lot. I'll tell you that. <laughs> <laughs> 
we are going to uh, break down the dam and get out of here. As we say, uh, thanks to Scott Ratzlaff. Thanks to Cam over at the Hockey Shop. Thanks to you for listening as we ride the coattails of uh, David Hutchison and Scott uh, or and Kevin Woodley on In Goal Radio, the podcast. Kevin Woodley. 